So today, a little something different. We're going to talk about goats. Uh, not like actual goats, like on a farm. Um, not like um, a scapegoat. That's somebody that we like blame everything on. Um, not like um, grouchy old men. Like somebody might say, you know, Larry used to be a really nice guy, but now he's just a mean old goat. Right? Not like, not like that. We're going to talk about the way we use GOAT as an acronym. So in today's vernacular, what does GOAT stand for? The greatest of all time. So if this is news for you, give you a couple of examples. In hockey, who is the greatest hockey player of all time? Obviously, there he is, Wayne Gretzky. The one that started this conversation was a guy who said he was the greatest boxer of all time. Who was that? Muhammad Ali. And in football, there's been lots of great quarterbacks. Come on. There can only be one goat, right? The greatest quarterback of all time, clearly Tom Brady. And what's fun, if you're on Facebook or whatever, is to argue about who's the greatest of all time. We're comparing people from the old days to people from the new days, and it's always really fun. Like in basketball, there's always this thing. Let's take a look. Here's some options. Bill Russell, Chamberlain, Oscar, Kobe, LeBron, Michael. But of course, all Christians know the greatest basketball player of all time. I mean, that's Jesus' favorite. Um, and, you know, like in golf, is it, is it Hogan? Is it Jones? Is it Jack? Is it Tiger? I mean, these are the greatest of all time. And so what do we do? If I want to be good at something, I'm going to pattern myself after the one who was the greatest. One time I took a golf lesson, and they actually took video of Tiger's swing Right, and they show it, and then they took video of my swing, and then they put the two over each other, and I can tell you, after a series of lessons and weeks and weeks and weeks of practice, my swing looked nothing like his swing. Um, but that's what we do, right? We wanna be better. We emulate the people. We pattern ourselves after the ones that are the greatest. And it's not just in sports, um, even like in music. Who's, who's the greatest singer of all time? It, Right? There's, there's a lot. I'll tell you, it's not Beyonce. I'll just put that out there. Um, who's, who's, here's a big one. This is serious now. Who's the greatest Disney princess of all time? I mean, we got Snow White and Cinderella and Jasmine, Belle, Mulan. I mean, we all have our opinions, right? But Jesus is the opinion that counts, and Jesus thinks the greatest Disney princess of all time is Ariel, <laughs> the little mermaid. Um, so what do we do? We look at people that are great, right? And we pattern ourselves after them. We try to emulate, we try to kind of copy after what they're doing. And Jesus actually did tell us who was the greatest of all time. It's in Matthew 11, 11. Look what he says, Jesus talking. He says, I tell you the truth of everybody that's ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. So there it is. Jesus is on record. John the Baptist is the goat. And then Jesus says something kind of weird after that, though. He says, John, John's the goat, but in the kingdom of heaven, even the least important person is greater than him. So, like, what's that about, right? We've been, and look, we've been talking, haven't we, about different ways to look at the Bible, right? So different types of Christian theology. We've talked about biblical theology, which is super, like, academic, it's kind of philosophical. Um, biblical theology is really all 100% just for the purpose of understanding God and who he is and what is his character and his personality and his plan. And then we've also talked about systematic 
theology, which is much more practical. And that's all about reading the Bible for, for help or for uh, practical instruction about like how to live our lives. So today, um, we're gonna have a very practical message about looking at the goat, looking at John the Baptist and kind of pattering ourselves after him. But first, we're gonna do just a little biblical theology because I can't resist about the kingdom of heaven. So this term, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, is like a super, super big deal in the New Testament. It comes up about 80 times in the New Testament. In fact, I would argue that if you looked at all the stuff Jesus talked about, he talked about the kingdom of heaven more than anything else. In fact, Matthew mentions the kingdom of heaven 40 times in his gospel. In my Bible, that's 30 pages. He mentions the kingdom of heaven more than once a page. It's a really, really, really big thing. And some of the writers, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. Some of them say the kingdom of God. It means the same thing. The thinking is the reason some called it the kingdom of heaven and some called it the kingdom of God. Matthew was mostly writing to Jewish people and they reverence the name of God so much that they don't even want to say the name of God. So they say the kingdom of heaven. Just like you might say heaven smiled on me and what you really mean is God smiled on me. So Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. A lot of them call it the kingdom of God. It means the same thing, but what are they talking about when they talk about the kingdom of heaven? What is Jesus talking about? What is Matthew writing about when they mention the kingdom of heaven? And I'll tell you what he's not talking about when he mentions the kingdom of heaven. It's not the chubby little angel babies, right, floating around on clouds and they're playing harps, and that is, that is not what he means by the kingdom of heaven. Um, we've used Von Roberts' definition, which I really like. Uh, Von Roberts has really great definition of God's kingdom. He says God's kingdom is God's place where God's people, under God's rule, enjoy God's blessing. And that's the world that was first established in the garden, and God created this beautiful, perfect world, and his plan was that God and man would rule over that world and rule over that creation together. And so the plan was for God and mankind to be completely together and he would provide everything for us and he would protect us and he would lead us and he would empower us and he would be with us and he would, he would empower us to rule his creation. But mankind was deceived by Satan and by sin and the world was corrupted. And mankind, or Adam, was just not up to ruling God's kingdom because he didn't fully trust God, right? He didn't trust God's goodness. He didn't trust God's love. And so he chose his own way. And so man was exiled from Eden. He was, he was kicked out of the kingdom, but God promised that someday he would send a new human, right? A new Adam to reestablish his kingdom and to be king over it. And this human would offer new life to humanity. It'd be like a whole nother kind of humanity, empowered by God's spirit, because this human would be both God and man. Any guesses about who this new king God-man would be? Very shy. Who do you think that might be? Jesus. Jesus. And so when Jesus first started his ministry, look what he says, this is Mark 1, 15. Uh, Jesus said, the time promised by God, has, he, God said this was going to happen a long time ago. He says, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. So repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now this term, good news, is a Greek word, euangelion. Let me hear you say that one, euangelion. 
You guys are horrible at Greek. Evangelion. Uh, and, it, and it literally, is, maybe your Bible says gospel. Um, that's another word we throw around. The, the, the literal translation of that word means good news. You should believe the good news. And specifically in the Bible, every time that Greek word is used, it's talking about the new good news of a new king taking over. And so it's like a like an inauguration celebration. That's the good news that's being allowed, uh, announced. And so Jesus is saying that the good news is the king has come. And because the king has come, the kingdom has come in his presence. Can't have a kingdom without a king, right? And now we have a king. And so now God's kingdom is come. Look at Luke 17, 20. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, well, when's the kingdom of God gonna come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, because the kingdom of God is already among you. So Jesus is saying the good news is God's kingdom is coming. And in fact, it's already here. Kinda. Right? And yet it's not fully here. Remember, he asked us to pray, may your kingdom fully come so his kingdom was here because his kingdom had come in Jesus. And his kingdom is now inside his people. In fact, we know this image that we sing about and talk about all the time of Jesus being the king of our hearts. Right? That's where God's kingdom is now. And so now God's kingdom, ruled by Jesus, is inside everyone that sees him as Lord and as king. And someday he is going to return. And he is going to finally destroy evil and he's gonna fully establish his new kingdom and it's gonna be perfect. And he's gonna perfect us. And the whole world then will acknowledge that he's king. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every voice will confess that Jesus is Lord and that he's king of the world. And until then, we're living in this like weird tension. Like a, it's like a dual citizenship, right? Because we live in this world but we're citizens, we're part of God's kingdom. In fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, look what it says. What, is, what does this verse call us to be? Let's take a look at this verse. We are Christ's ambassadors, right? We are, we are ambassadors of God's kingdom here in this world. So that's, that's a really good word. What, what does an ambassador do? Like a U.S. ambassador is someone that lives in another kingdom, but they represent the United States to that kingdom. That's what an ambassador does, and Christians are like that. We're, we're representatives of God's kingdom in this world. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, John the Baptist is the goat, and he's the greatest of all time. But when this new kingdom is finally fully established, and when we're made perfect, right, and when everyone in the kingdom is full of his spirit, and sin and evil don't even exist anymore, then Jesus says, in that world, everybody's gonna be greater than John the Baptist. So there you go. Biblical theology on the kingdom of God and John the Baptist. Now, a systematic theologian asks the next question, right? And that question is, so what? Right, that's interesting stuff. You know, John the Baptist, it sounds like a great dude and the kingdom of God stuff is interesting. But in the real world, right, in my life, in, in, in practically, how does this guy's story make any difference in my story? 
And I think it does, because I think most Christians wanna be good Christians. Don't you always hear people talk about that? Oh, he's a really good Christian. <laughs> he's not just a Christian, he's a good Christian. And you can tell because they got the big fat Bible. That's, that's the real dividing line. They wear a tie to church or something. Um, so I think, I think, most, I think most Christians wanna be, we wanna be good Christians, right? I may not be the goat, but I wanna matter in the kingdom. I wanna be a good ambassador for, for God's kingdom. I, I wanna honor God's kingdom by the life that I'm living, just like an ambassador in a foreign country. We want them to represent the United States well, right? I wanna represent God's kingdom well, and mostly, I wanna invite people into God's kingdom. I think most Christians wanna do that well. How many of you would like to do those things better? Okay, so what do we do? Just like I did with Tiger, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to pattern myself after him with my golf swing, and I wanna pattern the way that I am an ambassador in this world. I wanna pattern the way that I invite people into God's kingdom after the greatest of all time. So, and, and it's not about, we're not doing those things better because we wanna earn a spot in his kingdom. It's not about us earning a spot in the kingdom, okay? Jesus already established a kingdom. He invites us into just accepting that citizenship in the kingdom just by being born into it. So this, the citizenship in God's kingdom is not something that you earn. It's something that you're born into, right? That's what salvation is, and that's why we call it being, being born again, right? It's becoming this new kind of human, more like Jesus, filled with his spirit, um, and living in this new kingdom. So that's how you become. That's what salvation is, what we say. They're born again. It's becoming a new kind of human, a citizen, an ambassador of God's kingdom. And, and just like when you were born in the first place, your mom did all the work, right? And in this case, Jesus does all the work, and we just, we just accept it. So when that happens, and when you're born again, he's not just, like, done with you. You don't just get your, your new kingdom birth certificate, you know, and that's it. Instead, he begins to change you, and he begins to use you for the kingdom. And Philippians 2.13 says that he gives us both things. He gives us both the desire and the strength to do what he wants us to do. He gives us both the desire and the strength. Once he's living inside of us, he gives us the desire and the strength to do what pleases him. So if you are a Christian, if you are a citizen, an ambassador of God's kingdom, you probably feel like this desire, this thing inside of you that you wanna be a good citizen. You wanna be a good, effective ambassador. And that, that's, that's good that you feel that. That's the Holy Spirit inside of you. And he even leads us and empowers us and shows us how to do it. And listen, one of the main ways that he leads us, one of the main ways that he shows us, and one of the main ways that he grows us is by the instruction and examples of the Bible. So let's just look at this story of John and, and see what we can learn from the goat about how we can be really good citizens, really good ambassadors for the kingdom of God. So his story's in Matthew chapter three. We're gonna go super fast, and it's gonna be five ways that you can be one of the goats in the kingdom of heaven. So if you got your Bibles, this is Matthew 3, 1. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness, and he began preaching, and his message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, real quick, did anybody not understand that? Anybody not understand what John is saying? You understand what he's saying because he's saying what he's saying, right? He's saying, repent and turn away from your sins because the kingdom of God 
is near. He's not using fancy words. He's not using complex arguments. This is like, this is important, man. I need you to understand this. So I'm telling you, here it is. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. So here's our lesson from that. Um, if you want to be a great ambassador for the kingdom, if you, if you want to share the gospel, if you want to share the good news and tell people about Jesus and invite people into the kingdom, it's almost always better to keep it simple. To keep it simple. I think sometimes we think, like when we're telling somebody about Jesus, like the more complicated we make it sound or the bigger words we use or the fancier our presentation, the more effective it will be. But Jesus called the best Jesus called John the best proclaimer of the gospel, right? He called him the greatest, the greatest of all time. And John kept it simple. So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I, I think you're a Christian. I can tell because you have, you know, that Jesus fish on your car. Um, <laughs> no, I, I can tell by this incredible peace and joy and whatever that you have in your life that you're a Christian. So, like, how does that work? How does that work to become a Christian? Here's what you should not say to them. Okay, now first of all, you know, we're gonna need this two-hour dissertation on original sin and the depravity of man, and then we're gonna need a week to hash out Logos Christology, and then we're gonna talk for an hour each about atonement and justification and sanctification and glorification and summer vacation. It's gonna be <laughs> one thing after another, and not only is that like hard for them to understand, it's just boring. And wouldn't it be a shame if while you're breaking it all down, they actually died of boredom, <laughs> and then they went to hell, because you never got around to the punchline. <laughs> so if you want to be a great ambassador for the kingdom, if you want to be good at what John was great at, if you want to really invite people into the kingdom, then keep it simple. Verse three, the prophet Isaiah, 600 years before John was born, right? The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He's a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Verse 4, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and for food he ate locusts and wild honey. So um, I have a lot of funny things to say about that, but I'm not going to say them for the sake of time. John was called by God specifically to do one thing, right? John was called by God specifically to open up doors for Jesus. And that was God's plan for John. That was God's plan for John's life hundreds of years before John was even born. John, God chose him specifically and gifted him specifically. And he gave John an incredible like boldness and um, passion and what relentlessness that this job would require. And he's also given you specific callings on your life. He's given you specific gifts. He's, he's called you to do something for the king. He called John to do a specific thing and he gave him the gifts that he needed to do that thing and he's called you to do something specific for the kingdom and he's given you the specific gifts that you need to do that. And I don't know what yours is. Maybe it's preaching or maybe it's teaching or working with kids or making videos or just sharing the love of Jesus in guest services, or maybe it's leading a life group, or doing hospital visits, or uh, fostering children or something. Each of us has been given something, a special gift so that we can do a certain thing. First Corinthians 12, seven says, each one of us has been given a spiritual gift so that we can help each other. And he goes on to talk about this thing, this idea, this really cool image that we're part of the body of Christ. 
We're all part of the same body. Jesus is the head, and then there's this body, and it's made out of us. We're the parts of the body of Christ. So, you know, maybe you're a lung or a finger or an ear or a spleen or whatever you are. Like, you've probably noticed this. Ears are really good at hearing, right? And eyes are really good at seeing. And fingernails are really, that was a dumb one. Fingernails are really good at scratching, right? And like your pituitary gland is really good at something, but I don't know what. But each part of the body is really good at something. It's, it's specifically called to do a certain thing, and it's specifically gifted to do a certain thing. And in the same way, you're part of the body of Christ. And so it's kind of on you to figure out what your thing is that you're really good at, that you're really called to. So each one of us should be asking ourselves, well, what are my gifts? You know, what am I good at? What are my talents? What, what are my interests? What are my passions? Um, you know, we spend so much time talking about what we can't do, right? Just, well, oh, I can't, I can't preach, right? I can't sing, I can't write or lead or teach. I can't, I can't. Here's, here's a really better question for you. What can you do? Right? What has God specifically gifted you to do? And what, like, what are you interested in? What are you passionate about? Here's a good question for you. Not just what can you do, what can you not not do? Right? What is that thing that makes you so happy or that makes you so excited or that makes you so angry or makes you so sad that you just can't not do something about it? You need to figure out what you're supposed to do for the kingdom, and then you need to learn this really important lesson from John the Baptist. Here it is. Do you. Don't, don't try to do something God hasn't called you to do or gifted you to do. If, if you want supernatural results, then you need to depend on his supernatural gifting, right? You're called to do something, but you're not called to do everything. I'm not called to do everything. Believe me when I tell you, you don't want me leading the music, right? You don't want me running the books for the church, right? You do not want me doing the accounting for this church. Trust me when I say that's not what you want. I need to do what God has specifically called me to do. I need to do what God has specifically gifted me to do, and so do you. you got to do you, and not just in your spiritual gifting. I mean, in, your, in everything about you, you, you need to do you. Um, you know, John wasn't a snappy dresser, right? He wasn't, uh, he wasn't cultured. He wasn't a smooth-talking connoisseur of fine food and fine wine, right? So he didn't pretend to be. He, he, he just did him. He wore his camel clothes, and he ate his locusts, and he didn't care if people were impressed with him because he wanted people to be impressed with Jesus. So it's important for us to remember that, man. God, God made you exactly who you are. Your look, your personality, your style, your passion, your spiritual gifts, you're, you're, you're not a mistake, right? In fact, you're the opposite of that. Look, look what Ephesians 2.10 says. We are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece and and he he created you new in christ jesus so you can do the good things that he planned for you to do long ago god made you exactly like he wanted you to do exactly what he created you to do so trust that if you if you want to be a goat 
right? If you want to be a great ambassador for the kingdom, don't try to be something you're not. Just do you. Verse five. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming, this is like the religious big shots, right? He saw them coming to watch him baptize. He denounced them. You brood of snakes, he said. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Why don't you prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God? And don't just say to each other, we're safe because we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from the very stones that we're standing on. Even now, he says, the ax of God's judgment is poised, and it's ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. So I'm thinking about, like, what's the application of this, right? Um, and I thought, well, maybe, like, tell the truth. That's, that's good. Um, or boldness. I mean, he wasn't afraid. Those people had incredible power, and he wasn't afraid of them. So I thought maybe that's the application, but I think there's something, like, deeper I think there's something like more important going on here about John, and that is John knew who he was talking to. And I think if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you really want to be effective in inviting people into the kingdom of God, you've got to know who you're talking to. So these people that were coming, they were traveling from all over, and man, they just wanted to know the truth. You know, they, they confessed their sins, they, so they admitted that they were broken. They repented of their sins, so they, they turned away from it. And man, John couldn't wait to help them, right? He couldn't wait to, to teach them and baptize them and serve them and love them and accept them, even though they were broken, even maybe, maybe kind of because they were broken. He couldn't wait, he couldn't do enough for those people, but he didn't have much tolerance for these religious show-offs, these people that thought that they could get by with their like pedigree. And he didn't blow them off, right? These, these people, they were like sanctimonious show-offs, right? These were like the really full of themselves, hyper-religious people. And he didn't, he didn't just blow them off. He gave, he gave them the same warning he gave everybody else. You know, you need to repent and turn to God. But the message was different for them, right? Or at least it was presented differently. For the people that were really seeking God, for the people that were broken and they knew it, man, he was there to teach them and serve them and baptize them. But for these religious show-offs, that's not what they needed. Right? They needed something else. They needed a butt-chewing, right? Can we say butt-chewing in church? Honey, is that good? No good. They, they needed a firm reprimand, right? That's what they, that's what they needed, and so... He said, these are two different kinds of people. These people, if they're gonna get the gospel, they need to hear this and see this and experience this. These people are completely different and I need to present it to them kind of in a different way. So the message is, if you're inviting somebody to the kingdom, like, chew them out, man. Just <laughs> give them a butt chewing. That's not the message. The message is, the message is, know who you're talking to and just be sensitive to where they're coming from. If you really wanna invite people into the kingdom, you can't say the same thing to everybody. You can't act the same way or be the same way with everybody. Paul said, I try to be all things to all people so that I could win a few. So I think you have to, maybe they need something like explained on an intellectual level and that's just what they really need. Or maybe they need to just see your godly example, right? Or maybe sometimes, sometimes maybe they do need you to call out their sin or call out their hypocrisy. A lot of times people are gonna need to just see the love of Jesus in you before they're ready to hear about the love of Jesus from you. 
So everybody's different. And I think if you want to be an effective ambassador for Jesus, if you want to be the goat at inviting people into the kingdom, it starts with knowing who you're talking to. Okay, verse 11. John continues, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but somebody is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to even be his slave and carry his sandals, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So here's what I like about this. You know, John's a pretty big deal, right? He, he, I mean, he was Jesus' cousin, and you know, he, he had like a miraculous birth. He was the same deal with an angel went to his mom or his dad and said that they were going to have a baby. He grew up in a really well-respected religious family. He, he, John's a big deal, man, and now he's... He's having some success, and he's drawing big crowds, and he's getting really well-known, and he's got some cool new camel clothes, and he's eating at all the best locust restaurants, and like, he's like, he's a big deal now, and yet he has this attitude that we all need to adopt if we're going to be great in the kingdom. It's like his mindset, and that mindset is more Jesus, less me. In fact, he straight up says that in John 3.30. He says, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. If you want to be great in the kingdom, Jesus said whoever wants to be first is going to have to be last. Right? Whoever wants to be a leader is going to have to be a servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom, we have to be careful, man. One of the great like, tricks, I think, of Satan is that somebody starts doing good for the kingdom, and it's, they're, they're, their motives are right, and they're doing things right, and they're just serving Jesus. And then people start listening to them, and then they start having a little bit of success, and they start getting like a little bit popular or famous, and they start thinking that it's about them. And if you've watched the news, I mean, in the last year, God, it's just been everywhere where some church leader has an affair or he's abusing his subordinates or he's taking money that's not his and those are all symptoms of the same disease they, they think it's about them and you may not ever become a famous preacher and you may not ever have a chance to look like an idiot on national news but this still applies to all of us because you will never be effective for the kingdom you will never be effective for the kingdom if in your heart it's about you because sharing the good news, remember what the good news is, right? Sharing the good news is about pointing people to the king. More Jesus, less me. And it's not just in the way that we see ourselves or the things that we think we're entitled to or something like that. Here's another thing. More Jesus, less me, right? You will never do anything amazing for the kingdom in your own strength anyway, right? John 15, 5, what did Jesus say? Right? He said, apart from me, you can't do anything, right? And then a few pages over, in Philippians 4.13, Paul says, yeah, but through Christ, we can do everything. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Through him, we can do everything. So one of the worst things, don't, don't, don't start thinking it's about you and start depending on your own wisdom or your own talent or your own goodness or your own strength. Just do like the goat, man. Just think more Jesus Bless me. Verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John tried to talk him out of it. Jesus comes to John and wants to be baptized, and John tries to talk him out of it. He says, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? 
Let me ask you this. Can you imagine Jesus asking you to baptize him? Right? That is, that's crazy, right? And, and that's, that's what John thought. Look at verse 15. But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And you're, you're probably not going to get asked to baptize Jesus, but if anybody is, it's me, okay? No, I'm just kidding. But that's probably not going to be asked of any of us, right? But if you're a Jesus follower, if, if, if you want to do something that matters for the kingdom, if you want to be a great ambassador for the kingdom of God, sooner or later, he's going to ask you to do something crazy. Yeah, that's just like he did with Noah, right? Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Paul, Peter, go through the list, right? Pretty much anyone that's ever done something crazy, amazing for the kingdom, anybody that's ever done something crazy, beautiful for the kingdom started out with them being asked to do something just plain crazy, right? That's just how it starts. Like he, he, might, ask you, he might ask you to invite someone to church that makes you uncomfortable. That's crazy, right? He might ask you to forgive somebody that really hurt you. Oh, that's crazy. He might ask you to love somebody that hates you. That's crazy. Right? He might ask you to join a church. That's crazy. He might ask you to serve in kids' ministry. That's crazy. Right? He might ask you to, to lead a life group or start a church. He might ask you to do something that sounds weird or hard or scary. He might ask you to do something that you don't want to do. He might ask you to do something that you don't think you're qualified to do. But if you really, if you really trust Jesus, not just as your Savior, but as your Lord and King, right? I'll say that again, because that was good. <laughs> if you really trust Jesus, not just as your Savior, but as your Lord and your King, then you'll do what John did when Jesus asked him to do something crazy. Trust and obey. Remember that song? Trust and obey. Good things happen when you trust and obey. One of the biggest lessons I've learned as the pastor of this church, you've taught me. It's a lesson I learned from you. And the lesson is, God does amazing things through humble, willing people. God does, not that the people do great things, God does amazing things through humble, willing people. People that'll just say, you know what? I don't understand this. Maybe it doesn't make sense to me. I've never done this. I don't think I know how to do it. Maybe I don't even want to do it. But if God calls me to do something, I'm going to trust and obey. And that's what John did. He's a goat, man. He, he kept his message simple. And he just was himself. And he remembered who he was talking to. And he really kept this mindset, more Jesus, less me. And he trusted Jesus enough to do what Jesus called him to do, even if it was crazy. And those things made John the goat. And they can teach us five practical lessons about how we can become great ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven even greater than the goat. Amen?
All right. Thank you, John. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for John. What a, what a cool story. What an amazing guy. And man, we see his sacrifice and his passion and his courage and all this stuff. And man, we look at him and there's so many things that we want to emulate, so many things that we want to be like. But God, will you please just help us remember, you, you've spelled it out for us here, how we can be great in the kingdom of heaven, how we can invite people into the kingdom of heaven. We can be great ambassadors for your kingdom while we're here if we just keep our message simple. If we just remember, you made us the way you wanted us. We just gotta be ourselves. If we just gotta pay attention to the people that we're talking to and see what their needs are and go to them where they are and remember who we're talking to. God, will you give us the mindset of more Jesus and less us. Not to get focused on our own needs and certainly not to get focused on our own power or wisdom or goodness or ability, but just to realize it's all about more Jesus and less of us. And God, will you please just remind us that man, trusting Jesus is more than just saying a prayer on Sunday. And trusting Jesus is more than raising your hand or walking an aisle or you know, signing a card or something. Really trusting him as our savior and trusting him as our Lord and King means that we go where he sends us and we do what he asks us to do even when it's crazy. So God, we're giving you permission, man. Lead us where you want us to be, where you're a church. We wanna trust and we wanna obey. So show us how. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick before I let you go, uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday night, uh, we're having a night of worship. You should come. It's gonna be really cool. If you're one of those people like my wife that when the music is over and I walk up on stage, she's like, ugh. Right, if that's you, right? If you really love the worship, you should be here. Wednesday night, the 10th, it's 6.30? Is it 6.30? Somebody help me, 6.30? 6.30, Wednesday night in this room. Love to have you come. We're just gonna worship together. So be here for that if you can. Love you guys. Have a great week.